All right. Let's, uh, let's begin with a word of prayer. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we pray that you will bless our time together as we study your word, enrich our hearts, and give us eyes of faith which look to you for every good thing. We pray this in your most holy name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so I don't know if this is cause for celebration or not, but we're on the last parable. Okay, maybe it is. I don't know. <laughs> I think that the idea will be then to go back to earlier chapters, like on the Lord's Prayer. Yeah, to review, to go, to go study the Lord's Prayer in Bailey. Uh, but this is the last parable, and um, uh, it's a familiar one. So maybe, uh, why don't we do this? Why don't we just start by reading the parable? I don't think that Bailey had a, a ton of new observations to make like he has in the past. He hasn't, well, there weren't a lot of very cultural notes to make. So we might, take, we might get through it pretty quickly, but I've got some other things that we can chat about as well. Let's, um, let's start by reading the parable. Luke chapter 20. So everybody have a copy of the sheet of paper? Did you get one there? Okay. Luke chapter 20, verses 9 through 18. And is there a volunteer who would care to read that? Mary. Then he began to tell the people this parable. This man planted a vineyard, reached to it, and went into a far country for a long time. Now at vintage time, he sent his servants to the vine dressers that they might give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the vine dressers beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again he sent another servant, and they beat him also, treated him shamefully, and sent him away empty-handed. And again he sent a third, and they wounded him also and cast him out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Probably they will respect him when they see him. But when the vine dressers saw him, they reasoned among themselves, saying, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, that the inheritance may be ours. So they cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, what will Will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those vine dressers and give the vineyard to others. And when they heard it, it, they said, Certainly not. Then he looked at them and said, What then is this that is written? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Whoever falls on that stone will be broken, but on whom it falls, it will grind him to All right. Thank you, Mary. <clears throat> so this is, a, um, this is a parable which shows up in all three synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Um, it, it's a little bit different in, others, uh, in the other Gospels. I can't remember which, whether it's in Matthew or Mark, that the, uh, the vine dressers, the tenants, actually kill one of the other servants. Um, but the, the plot is pretty straightforward, right? Um, the guy has a, fee, uh, a vineyard, he leases it out, and when it's time for the fruit to come, he expects to receive some, and they, the, the, the tenants are not respectful. They don't, they, don't, they don't send any of the fruit, and they mistreat, they shame his servants. So, um, if you can summarize it in, in few words, what's the point of the parable? What do we get out of it? 
Nancy. Right. The point would be that the owner sent his son instead of retaliating. Okay. But of course, as a Westerner, right. the, I, the point is that the vineyard shouldn't have been involved. Sure, yeah. If you, so if you read it sort of in a linear way, you get to the end of the parable and you say, okay, this is the summary here. He will destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. That's the, that's the sort of the high point. Well, as, as, as Nancy said, Bailey points out there's, there's this this ring structure so the beginning and the end correspond and then you get you the you know the second part and the second to last part correspond and you get to the middle and that's the climax and the climax is the the uh the owner's decision not to pursue justice not to call in the authorities and you know run these terrible tenants out but to send his son instead um and that's i mean it's the 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 applications to you know our own salvation are pretty, pretty straightforward. Um, we see that, especially when we when we uh, when we hear the passion story. Right, they've killed the prophets, um, the ones that have been sent before, and now God is in spite in spite of that sending His Son, and they kill Him, nevertheless. Mary. Yeah. I think they did. The Romans were right there and saw it. It's not like what we have. The person is arrested, then he comes to trial, and then he's either found guilty or innocent. Right. It it sounds, from Bailey's description, it sounds like the the burden uh, for prosecuting would have would have fallen to the owner. So it would have been his decision. So they they mistreated his servants. If he wanted to pursue justice, he could. But there wasn't. It wasn't like. United States, where you get, you know, there, there, there's a public prosecutor, and and you get you get a defender regardless of whether you can afford a lawyer or not. You know, it wasn't quite like that. Um, sure. Right. Yeah, I think that that question um, relates also to a question about the fact that the tenants presume that they're going to. Inherit the, the the vineyard if they kill the vine dresser, the owner's son, right? What's with that? <laughs> That's right. I mean, so, so yeah. So yeah, you're welcome. So Bailey, you know, what's what's Bailey's explanation? How how do they think they can get away with that? Squatters' rights. Yeah. So they if they inhabit the place for three years and nobody comes to claim it, then they get it. I mean, regardless, evidently, of anything they've done, you know, in in the past. Um, what I, you know, what is still obvious though is that the owner is still around. They haven't killed the owner, right? So, is he going to just let them sit there for three years? Well, maybe. I mean, maybe they figure if um, if they if they figure if they killed the son, the owner will stay away because he'll be afraid, right? Um, but he has justice on his side, so they. I think they probably are smoking something. Uh, I mean, and that's what—that's is an apt description. These guys are these guys are stupid, right? They have um, they have everything going for them. All they have to do is give up some some of the fruit of the vineyard, and when they don't do it, when they when they screw up royally, um, the the owner of the vineyard is merciful. He gives them another shot, and they they reject it outright. Yeah. Any other questions? Thoughts?
Anything else? In, uh, go ahead, Carol. Um, what got me was the very beginning of this. And again, I don't know. Ian, did you say that you were going to Right. But as Bailey describes it, I didn't realize it was such a big of a deal yeah. as it was, even to the extent of there was no absolute Right. And and you know, we tend to think we tend to look at the cleansing of the temple and assume that Jesus was was stopping some activity, the, you know, the money changers and the, the people who were selling animals, stopping some illicit activity. They shouldn't have been there in the first place. But this was publicly sanctioned. You know, they needed to sell animals, otherwise there wouldn't be anything for the sacrifice. They needed to change money because otherwise visitors from outside of Jerusalem couldn't buy animals for the sacrifice. So this was a well-established, functional, practical thing, and Jesus comes and just puts things to a halt. And what's the point of that? Bailey, Bailey mentions it. What's, what is Jesus communicating by bringing things to a halt? Okay. Yeah. That's very true. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. If you read, if you read um, the Gospel of Luke thinking about the, rela- the role of the temple in the story, you, it becomes pretty clear that Jesus starts to communicate that he is, he is the new temple. Um, he, and this is, this is true in John as well. Um, we, we talked about the Feast of Booths in the adult Bible study on Sunday morning a while ago, and there's a great example. So, um, you know, the pilgrimage to the temple in Jerusalem was the big deal, and now Jesus stands up and says, well, here I am, you know, come, come to me. If you're thirsty, come to me for light, right? Yeah, um, and so, I mean, anybody who had their eyes, and this is, this is another point Bailey makes, anybody who had their eyes open or who was sort of listening carefully to what Jesus was saying would see that he's making some pretty big claims, and especially when he quotes Psalm 118. So this was, this was the pilgrim psalm which had been sung as they, they, uh, during the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. It was the, the psalm which, um, you know, marked... The, the, the procession to the temple, and Jesus is here saying that he is the cornerstone that's been rejected. And Bailey, you may, I don't know if you noticed this, Bailey pointed out this interesting um, linguistic thing. So there's a, a play on words that happens at the end of the parable. So the Hebrew word for son is ben, you know, Benjamin. Um, so that's the Hebrew word for son, and the Hebrew word for stone is eben. Um, and so... And this, this happens frequently. These, these guys were clever. When, when, you know, and and in, with Hebrew, it's really easy oftentimes to make these kinds of plays on words because there are very few words in the Hebrew language, and they, a lot of them sound the same. So if you're, if you're clever with it, you can make this, draw this association. So the sun was sent to the people, and now the stone is the one that's been rejected. And Jesus is pointing at himself all the while, showing that, that he's, he's the guy. Anything else from Bailey that caught your attention? Nancy. Yeah, let's talk about that for a minute. What, what was the sto- Can you just quickly summarize the story? Apparently some of his military guys were planning a coup, and he found out about it. And um, there was the option of going in there with the army or whatever. But he thought about it, and he instead went alone to where they were having this meeting and presented himself and said, 
rather than just killing masses of people or you know risking the lives of a lot of innocent people, if you really want to do this, just kill me now. Right. And they were ashamed of it. Yeah, I mean, it's a great it's a great story. And and Bailey says he he um, verified it. He talked to intelligence people who knew that this actually happened. Um, so it so it's it's really helpful illustration for. So this is one thing I think we should talk about very carefully. Um, King Hussein put himself in this position where he was vulnerable, and that's the Bailey uses the word vulnerable over and over again. So the son, the king, or the owner of the vineyard um, made himself vulnerable by by sending his son. King Hussein did the same thing. He put himself in a position where he could have been killed, and he was hoping that it would evoke some sort of a that it would that it would um, you know call to bring to light the last bits of honor that these military men had. And it did. It worked. They, they sort of recanted. They went to him and they kissed his feet and they said, you know, we, we're loyal to you. So the question is, what's different between what King Hussein did and what the owner of the vineyard did? Is it a direct analogy? Is it, is it a direct comparison? Okay, right, and and that's you know that's interesting because um, I think that especially nowadays I mean, it's hard, a little bit harder for us to see the identity between sending your son and and going yourself. But I think that that's what's that's really what's being communicated by sending his son. The owner was was himself going, a, you know, a part of himself was going, which it, I think is important to note. Um, it wasn't. It wasn't like he was sending a representative. He was, you know, the 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 servants were representatives. Now he's now he's investing himself in it, right? Jan. Yeah, yeah. It's like Isaiah says um, in the end of Isaiah. We heard this on uh, sometime over the weekend. He says, um, "Behold, I am doing a new thing." And that's, I mean, that's a great description of what Jesus comes to do. Not that, not that God has changed his behavior, but now he's here doing what he said he would do, saving people. Um, good. So, so, but, uh, but think about King Hussein again. I think that there's, there are some... It's, it's, uh, I think it's important to... Uh, note a difference between what King Hussein did and what the owner does with his son, sending his son. Because um, King Hussein is not, he's not capable of being as, as generous, as merciful as God is, right? So what's the difference? Yeah, good, absolutely, yeah. So he was, I mean... Even if he put on a good face, a little bit of him was hoping that they wouldn't kill him, right? Even though he put himself out there to be killed. He put himself in the position of being vulnerable, but his heart probably wasn't in it 100%, right? Now, we, in the story, in the parable, the owner says, um, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. So we get the sense from the parable that the owner is hoping that they'll respect him, but what does he know about these guys? They're not going to, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, so he, he is putting himself in a position where he knows they're not, going to, um, they're not going to be shamed. They're not going to come back to him. 
um, and receive his, you know, receive his forgiveness. And that, that I think, is the big difference. Um, so we can, be vul- we, can, we can put ourselves in situations where we're vulnerable, um, but we have a, it would be impossible, I mean, it's impossible for us to put ourselves in a situation where we, where, you know, the risk is certain, you know, where, where we know that the outcome is, is not going to fall in our favor. Um, and that's where, that's the big difference between God and us. God puts himself completely out there for our sakes. Um, does that make sense? I think, I think that that's, you know, that's really what's highlighted here. And if we, uh, I mean, Bailey points out that, that the, the owner has no, has, has no reason to believe that these people will, will change their mind. Okay, what else? Anything else from Bailey? I, th- I think the story f- about King Hussein was really helpful um, for illustrating the point. Okay, so now take a look at that sheet of paper there. I have some questions for you. A lot of questions about vulnerability. This, I was thinking about this quite a bit. I, I don't know if you um, are familiar with TED Talks. It's this um, organization. I think TED stands for Technology, Education, and Design. And it's, this, it's been going on for a while. All over the world they have these gatherings conferences where they invite speakers to come and give presentations about um, technology, education, and design. And oftentimes, they're really, really insightful, and they bring really brilliant people. If you look up, if you go to TED.com, you can see some of the interesting stuff they have. Anyways, there was a woman who gave a talk a while ago about vulnerability. She was a, she's a a, a therapist who did, who did graduate work um, studying the relationship between vulnerability and a sense of self-worth and um, and the, the relationship between that and feeling connected, um, and so her. I'll give you a quick summary here. Her assertion is that just as people, as humans, in order for us to feel connected to one another, we have to be willing to be vulnerable. Um, vulnerability is something which is inherently human. She says we um, we can't avoid it, although we try as hard as we can. And so living wholeheartedly, is the way she puts it, living wholeheartedly involves coming to terms with the fact that it's okay to be vulnerable, it's okay, and, and vulnerability is not weakness, and it's okay to take the risk of it being put to shame. So she has this great discussion about vulnerability. I think it's really helpful, though, to, um, to compare that with both the vulnerability that God displays in sending his son and also what kind of vulnerability we ought to exhibit as Christians. Is it different than just normal human vulnerability? So let's, we'll get there, um, but let's start with the first couple questions there. So these ones should be pretty straightforward. What is vulnerability? If you, if you're, if you have to define it, what is it? Mary. Yeah, that's I, and I think right, and I think that we you set something uh, you set a distinction, an important distinction at play here, which is the difference between when it comes to truth, um, vulnerability versus gullibility, right? Yeah. So, and there's an important thing there, uh, and it has to do with the way we develop relationships. So, um, you're not truly vulnerable if you if you just believe everybody believe everything everybody says, but you are vulnerable if you believe the things that people say who are 
with whom you have relationships, with whom you've established trust, but nevertheless, who could betray you, who could tell you a lie, right? All right, great. Thank you. Yeah, any, anything else? Any other ways to define vulnerability? Giving up control. Okay, yeah. Making yourself available for whatever outcome. Whatever. Sure, yeah. Yep, and letting, and, and letting somebody else in particular have control, too. Yeah. So, I mean, it, a marriage is a great example of, of a situation where you enter into vulnerability, right? <laughs> what else? Anne? Yeah, and it could be to any kind of risk, right? Yeah, yeah, good. Okay, so now the next question, just to make it m- more concrete, what, when are we, or when are you most vulnerable? It's a tough question, I know. So, to, yeah. <laughs> when, yeah, a good. Clo- closing your eyes at night, I think, is a, a remarkable... Yeah, I think that's a great. It's a great example. It, it, it illustrates the fact that as humans, we are we can't avoid vulnerability. We all have to sleep, um, and I, you know, I often think about how how much harder it must be to sleep if you're not if you don't have. Like, if you can't say the prayer, if I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take, right? If you can't say that prayer, how much harder it must be to sleep at night, you know? Mm-hmm. It, um, and it's, sometimes it's hard to sleep, right? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I think about that. I think this is a great example. Any, anything else? Sure. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, like I think about with like with our children. You know, um, in some sense, that we become vulnerable when we. I mean, when we hand them the keys to the car, for one thing. You know, but like, <laughs> but when you when like they, when they start doing things independently, um, you become vulnerable, right? Because you are at risk for at risk for loss. You know. Um, <laughs> exactly. That's right. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. But, I mean, so having having relationships at all is 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 vulnerability, and when when those relationships are an extension of your your own life, then you're even more vulnerable, right? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yep. Right. Yep. Mm-hmm. They, and that's the remarkable thing. They go hand in hand. So trust, um, trust is obviously essential to human relationships. We can't, um, you know, a society in which lying would be is 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 acceptable is normative. Um, there can be no human relationships if you never know whether somebody's telling you the truth. It, it just doesn't work, right? That's why, that's why every culture, telling the truth is a virtue. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a rule. It's a hard and fast rule. Um, and so trust, you know, though, requires this vulnerability. And so uh, it's amazing that such a high virtue 
um, requires us to be at our perhaps most humble, right? To be the most available to, to injury. Okay, so the time is flying. I want to play for you a few minutes of um, what this woman, her name is Brene Brown, what she had to say. So this, um, on the radio, on NPR, they do uh, every couple of weeks a TED radio hour where they sort of curate a bunch of TED talks. And this one was about risk-taking. And so they interviewed the woman and played part of her talk. I'll just play a a few minutes of it. And the thing to think about is, now we have to bring this home, what's the difference between the, the kind of vulnerability that we're talking about here, which is just sort of human, I mean, inherently human and important for relationships. What's the difference between that and God's vulnerability and our vulnerability as Christians? So, it's just just sound. I'm going to put my microphone here. Okay. Yeah, well, it's something else, I think, if you do it on Facebook. <laughs> I don't know what it is, though. <laughs> what do you th- what, so what do you think about that? It, yeah? Is, it, is what she has to say helpful, you think? How, how so? Can you... Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Right. That's good. Yeah. This reminds me of Psalm 51. Um, a broken. I don't know why I keep thinking of this. Um, my sacrifice is a broken and contrite heart. Right. Yep. You know, you have to almost be broken to heal. To be healed. Sure. To be whole. Yeah. If you spend all your time pretending that you're not broken, mm-hmm. then you don't. Then you can't heal, right? Yeah. Yeah. Good, Jan. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> Yep. Good. That's great. I Brene Brown even ta- it talks about that in another place as well that we we sort of we impose our our unwillingness to be vulnerable on our children. We we we, we yeah, you survived. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. Good. <laughs> good. Uh, okay, so now um I mean there's a lot there's a lot to talk about just from that little clip. So if you want to hear the rest of or hear more of her talking. I, I'd encourage you to. She's very interesting and very helpful. Uh, if you go to TED.com and search for vulnerability, she'll be, you'll get one talk by her and then another one about shame a couple of years later. Um, and there's stuff on the web, uh, more information as well. I, I think, though, the important, an important question, though, is what, what's the difference between that and, and being a Christian, being vulnerable as a Christian? 
Any ideas? It's a tough question. That, see, that's the way that we're able to help each other get through life. Yeah. If, if, we're, if we're snobbish and we don't fess up to our weaknesses or our life examples, what we've gone through, how are we going to help somebody else? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, so really, these observations about vulnerability as, as, as essential to being humans, um, are, it's, it's, it underpins everything we have to say about love. So um, we don't understand what love is unless we understand what it is to trust and to, to be vulnerable. We got this great quotation by C.S. Lewis um, from The Four Loves. I, I'll let you read it uh, on your own. Um, but it's, uh, you know, it's, it hits the nail on the head. So, and, and we're called as Christians to love God and to love our neighbors. And I think that uh, one thing which, um, which, you know, sort of a secular d- discussion of vulnerability can fr- fringe on but ne- never really hit is the idea of, of confession and forgiveness, of, you know, of admitting your faults and being willing to receive forgiveness from somebody. So we come before God um, precisely the way that he sent his son um, in, in complete vulnerability, having, having no hope left, right? So that's what, uh, what Psalm 51 is all about, right? It's about being at the very bottom of the pit, being, being as low as we can be. And, um, and that's, where, that's where faith is a gift of the Holy Spirit because at that point you have no hope in yourself. You are at your most vulnerable. And that's, what, that's how we stand before God and he forgives us. So then, you know, as Christians, we are called to imitate that behavior, you know, among each other both in confessing our sins, being, being humble, and in being willing to, for, and being willing to forgive. Um, and, and the great thing about the way we understand forgiveness is that our forgiveness is God's forgiveness. So um, it means something. It's not just a sentiment. It, it actually affects what it says. It does it. It forgives. It takes, takes away the fault. And, um, and so it, this is a, I think it's a great example of how um, there's so much truth in what, in, in, in simple observations about human life. There's so much truth we can glean, and um, and we benefit from that. But we need we need the gospel as well to you know to to finish to seal the deal for us, right? Does that make sense? Okay, Donna. Right. Yep, great. Yeah. So, so if, you, if you listen to more of what she says, think about it in those terms. Because, um, and this is true for so much of, of, so much of uh, what's brilliant in the world, is that they get, they get so close. They get so close, and what's missing is, what's missing is the gospel. The, you know, the fact that we can't, we can't, we see what we need to do, but we can't do it on our own, right? Yeah. How does it, how do other people do it? Right. You know, like, you would just, you know, wonder if people have so many problems that are, like, just trying to cover up yep. all those feelings of shame and vulnerability. Yeah. Because if you don't have the faith to back it up, how much harder would that be? Yeah. Yeah. We better, we better call it quits here. The kids are calling. So, <laughs> let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven... Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you very much.